it's kind of like survivor right like there's there's what is it like 17 seasons of survivor and then at the end of every season you're like yes it's getting better and you're like no it's just the same stuff over again and then they jump the shark and then they jump the shark again and a third i actually just watched the finale of the 45th season yesterday so in covid we started watching from season one with my with my boys um, and we literally just started from one and went all the way through because they had they had just finished 40 like during COVID. Um, so we watched the whole all 40 seasons and it was took years, two and a half ish years to do. Mm. But welcome, everyone, to Tech by Design, where the Richmond Technology Council takes you to the edge for trending tech and innovation here in Richmond, Virginia. I'm Nick Surface, CEO of RVA Tech, along with Alex Atanias, CEO of Shopo. Come join us. Welcome, everyone, to the last episode of the 2023 calendar year for Tech by Design. My name is Nick Surface, joined today by none other than Alex Otanias uh, from Shaco. Uh, Alex and I are here today. We're going to do a little bit of a recap of the year, some of uh, what we've seen from the past year. But most importantly, and I think most uh, intriguingly, we're going to look to 2025. I don't want to look to 2024 because let's be honest, we've all... At this point, 2024 is over. I mean, we planned, we prepped, everything's in place. The hay's in the barn. We're about to kick the year off. If you're trying to get ready for 2024 right now, you're late. So we're going to talk about 2025 and what we see coming down a year from now. But Alex, uh, any quick thoughts on, uh, on the year behind us here? I think the biggest thing that I saw this year is a drastic decrease in the amount of investment in technology. And, and as a result, 2021 and 22 saw historic spend on technology, whether it was through people or through platforms. 2023, because of its insecurities, saw a drastic decrease in that investment. And as a result of that, we saw um, a lot of, of technology in initiatives that were underinvested in and were just sitting there for 12 months. And, and you really can't do that with tech. So I think 2024 is going to be a year of rediscovery or re-incentivizing those who invested in technology in a better way. Yeah, I like that, Alex. Um, I was going to say a correction or a return to normalcy in, in some ways, um, but with a, a, a similar tact that you took in the sense that, yeah, there was an overinvestment in 2021 and 2022. I think we were all reacting to COVID and the, the quote unquote new normal and, and that everything needed to be tech enabled and tech driven. And uh, it was tech, tech, tech. Otherwise, you're going to get left behind. And I think in a healthy way, we all rediscovered ourselves and our humanity in 2023 a little bit. We saw less polarization. We saw more community and gathering. We saw a return to relationships and getting back to the way we were pre-COVID. Um, not that we'll ever be there. but And with that comes a sense of, hey, let's you know, maybe maybe arm's length or you're using tech as a tool is the way to go, not as a way to live, so to speak. So uh, I'm right there with you. Yeah, I think uh, Nick, one of one of the things that I've, I've um, if you put the the technology companies like the Apples and the Googles aside for just a second, and, and we talk about retailers and manufacturers and and um, finance companies. Because of COVID, they were forced to invest massive amounts of money into tech to allow employees to be productive and customers to be engaged. And so you really had two types of, of companies, or we've always had two types. Well, we have we, we leaders and we have laggards, right? So pre-COVID, leaders were, were leading the space in tech, right? So they had apps, they had text messages, they had updated websites, et cetera, et cetera. And then you had the laggards, which, which didn't necessarily have an app. They didn't necessarily have a great website. 
So the leaders essentially, they couldn't stop and rethink their strategy. They kept piling on technology. So their technology is now six, seven or eight years old, right? So COVID actually started in 2020. So we're, we're four years out of, I mean, four years from, from essentially the start of COVID at this point, right? Four years minus three months. And they kept building on that technology that was already a couple years old. The laggers, on the other hand, were bolting pieces together to make sure that they could get in front of their customers. And they kept doing that. And so these two types of companies, one was basically bolting on products to make sure that they could engage correctly. And the other one was adding to a tech stack that was already a couple years old. Couple that with the fact that technology, the investment in technology has become more expensive these days. You have this 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 chaotic environment now where people don't want, they know they have to reinvest. They know they have to recreate. Technology is six, seven years old at this point, but it's become more expensive to make a transition. And so what we see is is a more intentional focus on how to engage with employees, how to engage with your customer base and, and do it in a meaningful way, right? Like if, if you go to conferences over the next three to six months, the one word you'll find um, people say is authentic, authentic, authentic. Like that's that's kind of one of the new buzzwords that I've heard. And what they're trying to say is, listen, we can't just throw messages out there and hope somebody responds. We want to build a relationship with our employees. We want to build a relationship with our, our consumers. And that goes back to the point that you just brought, right? We're going back to pre-pandemic days where relationships were really, really important. And, and we realize that as human beings. Alex, couldn't agree more. Um, I want to ask you also uh, what you're most hopeful about and what you're most fearful about in the coming year. And um, But I, I want to give you a second to, to chew on that because I, I have some things kind of queued up in the, the, the front of my brain. For me, what I'm most hopeful about in the coming year is that we get back to tech, the enjoyment of tech. There was a time pre-COVID when a new feature and a new app on the phone was cool and you wanted to show it off or having a new SaaS platform or having something new that was discoverable that nobody else was using was a cool thing to do. It was almost like discovering music uh, or new music or a new artist and being at the forefront of it. Um, if you were a maven in the tech space, that was kind of a cool thing. And, and part of it was just fun. It was just fun to be trying out the new tech thing. It wasn't, is this tech thing going to ruin the world? Is it going to take away jobs? Is it going to uh, make us more polarized? You know, it was just, hey, there's this new cool thing. Let's use it and enjoy it and, you know, let it be cool And because tech is cool. I think what I'm most fearful about is the upcoming election and the potential for tech to be polarizing and for people to view tech as polarizing, whether it's a platform, a tool, a weapon, what have you that, um, you know, anytime you are in an election year, there's a natural uh, degree of polarization um, as kind of the country becomes divided from, um, you know, among candidates. But there is an element that sometimes tech can um, can leverage that polarization or amplify it. And uh, I hope we don't see a, a, a world, you know, where that opinion is is too much the the consensus. So that's what I'm most fearful about. What about you, Alex? Oh, you said I shouldn't ask you questions, but um, I, I want to ask you one question. If you had to give examples of where you think tech will become polarized in the election, which are those examples where, where you fear the most or, or you think are going to be the most highlighted, right? I mean, put X aside or, or, or X formerly Twitter, but put that aside for just a second. But aside from that, like the, the social media aspect we know is going to become polarized and it has been. Outside of that, what other elements do you think are going to become contentious? Certainly with cybersecurity and the access to data. So there's potential of just 
and it's always been this way, but uh, bad actors getting access to data and using that or reconfiguring that data to prove a point or make some sort of case to affect popular opinion. So I would say manipulation of data is a concern. I would say um, also the the use of AI as a bad actor as well. Um, Is there a way to create AI that creates its own opinions that sway one way or another? So when you start to get into and you start using chat GPT or other tools to generate content, is that content biased in one way or another? Uh, and then we look back a year from now and be like, oh my goodness, like there were things happening at the content generation, the automated content generation stage that uh, were biased and affected opinions. And it, you know, that does, it does come back to the same core principles of, of manipulating social media or other things. It's messaging. It's can this tech be used to message inappropriately or incorrectly that then you know affects opinions and votes and democracy, and that that that's truly not attempting to be that's truly a, a bipartisan take. I'm not suggesting that any one party or um, you know angle is trying to do that more than another. I think, frankly, you get into politics and everybody's trying to win. And you get into a competitive landscape and people are trying to win. You see it in politics, you see it in sports, you see it in gambling, you see it in you know anything in business, uh, you know, and sometimes just it gets taken too far. So just hoping the tech doesn't get taken too far. Yeah, I, I agree with that. One of the things that I think Richmond is really good at is investing in opportunities that are here and that make money. As I speak to a lot of investors in, in the private equity and, and venture capital space, they are looking for opportunities that are are not just necessarily necessitating a lot of capital, but opportunities where they could get a return on their investment as a result of, of some of the previously invested opportunities. And Richmond has always been a city that looks to make money first on an idea that, that actually works rather than a concept. And, and I think they're holding true to that. Because of that and because of the investor landscape, I think there's a really cool opportunity for Richmond tech companies to take advantage of that space. As, as we look into 2025, which was your initial question, I think 2024 is going to be a year where we test out and get past the initial craze of AI and really figure out where to use it best and how to use it best. I also think we are going to understand that it is no longer about the user interface, but about the productivity and the experience. I think we're going to move from, I need a UI or I need an app to I'm comfortable with getting an answer without necessarily having a visual display. And that brings me to the thing that I'm most excited about. As an app developer, we have been building user interfaces for almost 10 years at Shaco. I think we now have this opportunity to let people look up and, and actually engage with other human beings, but still be as connected without necessarily that that user interface. If I talk about the, the thing that scares me the most, um, it's not the political situation, but um, economic unease. Like if, if we continue to to have a lot of ups and downs without a lot of stability, we're going to miss this, this awesome opportunity to invest in this space because so many people are going to be under the gun to manage tighter budgets, manage tighter spend, and they're not going to invest in, in growth and innovation the way they, they, they should be doing, rightfully so, if, if there's a lot of uncertainty. So I think that's what scares me the most. I think that coupled with possibly an underinvestment in or an improper investment in AI opportunities will, pe- will leave people burnt out and not wanting to invest for a few years. So so I hope we invest well. I hope the economy lends itself to allow us to invest well. 
And I, I think if, if that happens, Richmond is poised to see a lot of growth in that tech space. Alex, we talked a lot about 2023. Let's that's that's the year behind us. We it's it's been there, done that. Let's move to 2024 and beyond. I want to do I want to play a special game with you. It's a special end of year game, and I want to talk about not 2024, but I want to talk about 2025. And what I want to do is I'm going to give you a, a bunch of things. We're going to run through this kind of like firestorm speed. And I want you to give me your first take on the relevance of these things in 2025. So in other words, where do you see the relevance of these topics a year out from now? Are they dead? Are they more relevant than ever? What's going on with them? And, um, and how do you see uh, what's happening with them a year out from now? Metaverse. Redefining the way we create screens. Do you think it's rebranded? Reinvigorated, redesigned, reapproached to incorporate human life, not a separate life altogether. Speaking of brands, what about the brand and the word Twitter? Twitter is dead and Elon Musk will make it so. I think he is staying with X. That is what he wanted early in his career. And this is his opportunity to do so. Do you think X is still a, a media communication platform or do you think it evolves? I think X is a media communication platform that continues to evolve. I believe Elon Musk's grand scheme is a one app that rules them all situation. All right, let me throw one out from left field at you. College. No change. I think a lot of people think college is going to become something that's obsolete. I think it's a place for all of us to gain maturity. I wouldn't say no change. I think there's going to be some adjustments in light of what's happening, but... Um, it is a place for us to understand who we are, um, mature, and uh, choose a career path. So, again, might be redefined a little bit um, in lieu of what's happening. But if, if you think about college for, for as long as I've been around and for the last 100 years, it's, it's always been a place that um, allows for freedom of speech, growth, and maturity. A coming of age. Yeah, I, yes, I had the same go. conversation with my kid, a 14-year-old, just yesterday. Uh, he talked about... Uh, wanting to live from home um, when he goes to college, that he didn't want to live with somebody else. And we explained that, that that's not the point. The point is to get out and figure out how to live on your own, live with other people, make that all work. And you know, the same kind of thing kind of hit me of, oh, hey, it's not just about the classes. It's not about the academics. Sometimes it's just about the life experience. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think some people believe that their children should go uh, on a one-year sabbatical or one year to explore themselves. My, my daughter's six, so I, I have some time to think about it, but I don't think that's a bad idea. Um, I, I just wouldn't toss out college altogether, right? I mean, college has been a place for people to think, to ponder, to grow, to, to like you said, right? Yep. It's a coming of age. Absolutely. All right. Let's get back into tech. IOT. Um, I think we're going to see a revival of, of tech. Um, I think um, we are in the, the, the second era or possibly third of IoT. I think with AI, IoT will become more functional. There will become less user involvement and it will become easier to process data. Do you think we'll see it move from appliances and cars to other aspects? Oh, 100%. Um, I think we already do in, in the manufacturing space. Um, it, we just owe it to ourselves to actually do right by it. Uh, again, this, this comes back to my initial statement. Is it, is it a 25? Is it a 26 or a 27 thing on the roadmap? And how many startups are going to be poised to do that? I think it's going to be a little trickier with, um, with the economy. Um, IoT requires a large investment. 
And and I think um, investors are looking for payback versus investment mm-hmm. these days. What about quote unquote Googling? Are we still Googling in 2025? Yes. One of the big debates of the AI uh, concept here is is creator um, ownership. So as, as we Google, Google figured out how to give ownership to creators. Um, they then essentially, I wouldn't say forced, but um, made creators use SEO and SEM as, as a way to create better. I, I think um, as, as BARD and OpenAI basically um, start maturing, they are going to continue to give that that creator a, a space and recognition. Um, so whether we're Googling the way we do today or more prompt-based Google, I think it's going to be easier to to search if that's what you're referring to. Do you think there's a, a time or a, a scenario where we actually start to look at the results from like a chat GPT or any sort of AI content generator and we start to try to build or position our brands and content strategically so that they show up better? In a, it's in already a, happening. Yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, I can't remember uh, the company that owns Business Insider. Um, they just signed a strategic partnership with OpenAI. So when you query OpenAI, you get some of their results. Um, and, and I don't have all the details. I just heard of this yesterday. But um, you're already starting to see some some financial partnerships in the space um, with with OpenAI, obviously leading the charge. My hope is that it doesn't become too influenced by it and it becomes easy to understand when when that is happening versus when it is not blockchain alex how's the blockchain doing in 2025 um ernie else um ernie golf reference else okay walk me through ernie the big easy the big easy i think um i think it continues to pave its way in the supply chain um it continues to um I think crypto is coming back. Um, uh, I think um, in, in the finance industry, blockchain is still is still very relative. Um, uh, I think in the supply chain space, it's it's still very relative. So I don't think it's going anywhere. I I, I think it's just not mainstream media right now. Do you become? Do you think it becomes more democratized in terms of just understanding and and the applicability of it across industries? Yeah. 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 I see that, Alex. What about big cities? Where do you see big cities in 2025? LA, New York, Chicago, Seattle. Finding themselves. Hmm. Big like cities. A, like an adolescent. Yeah. I mean, they, they have a seven-year timeline, right? So um, I was actually talking to a friend of mine yesterday, um, and, and he lives out in San Francisco. And, and I was like, hey, so what does it look like to be in San Francisco? And he said, well, it's still a capital of AI, but the city is empty. And, and he said some of the richer neighborhoods in, in the city are, are intact. Um, some of the uh, drug-laden uh, aspects of the city have become worse and, and people have ignored it. So it's time to pay attention to it. But cities are in a seven-year timeline, right? So investors are, are essentially escaping some poor investments. Other investors are, are still kind of weathering it out. So I think big cities are going to take some time to recover, um, whether it's six years, seven years, eight years. I, I don't think it's going to be immediate. Do you think there's an opportunity for a renaissance or a redefining or reinvention? I don't know what that looks like. Yeah, I don't um, either. I just, I, I just, I, I, but I nobody, struggle to believe yeah. that people who have the freedom to work from home and be just as effective are going to go back into the cities. Cities have never been a place for manufacturing, right? So manufacturing meaning people have to be at work every day. So yeah, I mean, we have to figure out what, what cities mean. Um, a, a lot of people that I speak to are, are converting apartments, uh, I'm sorry, um, commercial spaces into residential spaces or, or mixed use. 
and and that has its own challenges. Um, there's there's a company that I think you and I have referred to in the past that allows people to understand what is the expected cost for a conversion and can you do it. Hmm. So it's it's not as easy as as taking an apartment and, or or a, a commercial building and turning it into a a residence. So I just I, yeah I don't I don't know what that means for big cities. I, I think big cities are still at the epicenter of of the U.S. and and so they're they're going to come out well. It's just how well are they going to come out? We we can't sustain a suburban life. It's too spread out. It's too sprawled. It's too expensive. So so I think we need some sort of concentration in the cities, but I just don't know what that looks like. You know, I, I saw something recently on Twitter that was, it was like 35 steps to improve your life as a recent college graduate. And one of them was, um, you'd be amazed at how many of your problems disappear when you move out of the city and into a more rural area. And I think that's reversed from what it used to be. I think it used to be you moved to the city because it was actually easier. You uh, had a community of people. You had easy access to retail and uh, groceries and all the stores and nightlife and all of that. Everything was easier because it was right at your fingertips. And at some point, we tipped and it became more inconvenient to be so crowded and you know, bustling in terms of lines and, and crowds everywhere and things seem to get a little harder in cities. And so maybe there's a correction there. Maybe maybe a renaissance is just, oh, hey, moving out to the country or the suburbs, that isn't necessarily as, uh, as easy as we all thought it was going to be. There is some advantages to life in the city again. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd question that writer. Uh, I think they, they might have had a specific motive in mind, but if you think about the city, like one of the things that happens in, in suburban America specifically is you become disconnected, right? Like mm. a, a phone yep. call becomes your, your main point of connection or a Zoom call. Um, whereas in a city, it's, it's, it's an opportunity to meet up, right? Like it's let's walk down the street, right? Um, when you live in suburban, again, uh, specific to, to America, right? When you live in suburban America, you walk less. You're more sedentary. You're you're not walking to a restaurant. You're driving to a restaurant. You're not meeting up with a friend. You're calling a friend. So so I think um, I would disagree with that writer. The city city life is definitely more expensive, but um, I think there's a there's an aspect to community that you don't find or you don't see as much. Um, and again, there, there's 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 exceptions to the rule, right? If you live in Tarrington you have a community, right? Mm -hmm. And and you see those people, but I, I would still question whether you are as active or you're as social, right? It, it's easier to walk home, close your door and, and do your thing versus walk up, up an elevator or up a flight of stairs and see a neighbor or walk across the street and go grab a coffee. So mm -hmm. there's, there's a space for a city that's just beautiful. And, and I mean, I don't, I don't live in a city right now, but um, it, it is the epicenter to, to most of what we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, same here. Don't live in the city proper, but certainly gravitate there for um, so much of what I do and and what I'd like to do. And I'd like to, do, I'd, frankly, I'd like to do more in the city if um, you know we could we could build up even more um, attractions and resources and things like that. So, what about startups, Alex? How's the startup scene in twenty twenty five? Oh, tight. I still think they're tight. Investments um, or the uh, efficacy of leaving your job for a startup or or the amount of ideas that people are willing to pull a trigger on? What do you mean? All three. Um, access to funding is going to be tight. Deployment of capital is going to be tight. 
I think we're going to see some really, really cool startups come up out of the out of the next two years. Um, it's those people that know how to operate in this environment that are going to be most successful three and four years out. But in, investors aren't looking to make as many bets as they used to. Um, they're going to make smarter bets on on smarter teams. And so I, I think there's going to be a couple things that happen. Um, I think a lot of startups are going to fail. I think there's going to be a lot of great talent in the market space. So those startups that don't fail and are well-funded um, with, with not just a good idea, but a, a, a go-to-market strategy um, are going to have access to a lot of great talent. So I think it's going to be challenging. I think uh, startups haven't seen this in five, six, seven, eight years, right? And, and so a lot of startups have been able to access cash quickly. Um, I'm talking about the tech space, right? I'm, I'm, I, I can't speak to manufacturing or, or, or um, um, healthcare or, or any of that. But in, in the tech space, uh, again, it's access to talent is going to become better. Um, access to funding is going to be tighter. And I think we're going to see a lot of startups fail. Yeah, I just think the branding changes a little bit from uh, startup culture and entrepreneur um, uh, elevation to hey, at the end of the day, we're we're business building here. That's that's what you're doing. Um, and so if if you're going to be business building, you come to the table with a business plan that is intended to drive revenue over and above your costs, and you attempt to make a profit and a return that hopefully impacts the world in a positive way and solves a problem. And it's not just about being in that culture or being in that role of of entrepreneur. Yeah. And I think, again, going back to my comment on over-investing over the last few years, we saw a lot of startups essentially build great ideas and a lot of companies in the, at least the ones that Shaco speaks to have invested a dollar here, a dollar there. And, and that incremental cost has now become very apparent. And so as they look to add a new platform, add a new startup or add new functionality, it, it's not as easy to pass that cost on to the customer. Um, and, and they're no longer looking for a cost savings. They're, they're looking for incremental revenue. And, and so as a startup, you're, you're really trying to prove the value or your value in the market space, right? And, and I think the comparison that I would give is that to you and I, right? So you and I five years ago got Netflix. And then after Netflix, we got Netflix and Disney and HBO and Paramount, and all of a sudden we're spending whatever, $60, $70, $80 on, on paid subscriptions, and we're like, hold up, we can't do this anymore. We, we cut cable to save some money, and now we have to basically have seven or eight subscriptions to, to do the same thing. I think um, the enterprise world saying the same thing, right? They're like, hold up, I need to pay 10 or 12 different licensing fees to have the same type of solution for my client that I basically could build in-house three years ago. Let's rethink about this. So I think that's an opportunity for startups, but it's also going to be a challenge because a lot of these startups are used to working in the environment where people just bought a subscription and, and now they're going to they're going to have to reposition themselves and, and really prove that value. Well, Alex, streaming was farther down on my list as well, So, you, but you kind of touched on it here. Um, do you think we find some sort of consolidation or collaboration or reconcoction of the, the right formula here for consuming uh, different media platforms? 
yeah, something something has to happen. I don't know what it is. Again, I'm I'm not as educated in that space. So, I, but something something's going to give, right? We already saw Hulu and and Disney kind of mash up into one. Um, if if you're on the Disney platform, you now have access to Hulu. You obviously had access to ABC and ESPN through Disney. So so we're already starting to see that mashup in in the in the telecoms in in this entertainment space, I should say. Yeah. Um, and if what is it Peacock? You have Peacock and, and NBC through yep. through Comcast. So you're already starting to see this mashup. I think the investment in entertainment and content creation by these large media companies has become unsustainable. I mean, I think Bob Iger pulled back on the Marvel um, expansion. So so you're you're starting to see just a lot of people rethink about how they invest into content creation and how that's consumed. I was talking to you, Nick, earlier today. There's a fascinating podcast called The Journal, and, and I think the they have a four-part series called With Great Power, and they're essentially questioning future investment in content creation. I think Marvel now has so much content, which is incredible. It's great content. It's, it's well-written, it's, it's well-produced, but as a consumer, you just can't watch television. I mean, you can, but it's hard to consume a Marvel show on a nightly basis and then essentially watch a movie every month. And it's just as an adult, it just becomes hard to keep up. So you just kind of lose touch with it. So I think you're going to see a little, a little, um, I wouldn't say collapse, but conversion. Like a lot of these streaming platforms are going to converge into, into single platforms. You're going to see again, much like the enterprise space, a little more, um, discernment in terms of like the investment they make, but yeah, not I an mean, expert there. Yeah, you, I mean, you're starting to see that people are actually starting to say no to, to certain programs because they just don't want another subscription. So, yeah, yeah I'm not going to join that platform. I know everyone's talking about that show when it used to be where you did whatever you could to get in front of that show and see it. Uh, people were just saying, you know, I don't have that. So so it kind of yeah, kills the I, conversation. I think, excuse excuse the cuss word, but I think it's well positioned. It's just f***ing noise, you know? Yeah. Um, yep. It's just, it's it's just, it's too much. Like, um, yeah. I, I've been talking to a lot of people about this lately, but I mean, I'm the exception, but I have 60, 70 apps on my phone and, and they all have a little red dot. They all have a push notification. They all turn mm. them on when I turn it off. Um, I, I get, I don't know, 100, 200 emails a day, 50, 60 text messages. It's just, I don't even know where to go anymore. So important meetings or, or podcasts like this one, I now have an alarm, an old school alarm clock, analog alarm clock that basically reminds me to be somewhere. And it's just, I, I think, and, and I'm, I'm not alone. I see a lot of people do that because they need an app, right? Like companies force you to get an app and, and Shaco has been part of that, right? But once you have the app, you have the push notification and then you have the message and it's just like, it's, it's just too much. And, yeah, and, I, I agree. I almost wonder if there's an Uber notification that comes out of all of this that, you know, is there a curated way of getting your notification so that, hey, give me everything in my main dashboard, but here are the five things I need to, to know today. I think that's where AI is going to become so powerful. It's going to become more directive and more helpful. And that's what I'm looking forward to in 2025, because I think it's going to take a year to essentially correct this, maybe more. And I think that's how long it's going to take for us to really understand how to use AI to benefit the the end user like you and I. Yeah. I almost, wonder, I almost wish there was a notification dashboard. So I just get a notification from my dashboard and I go check and I see, oh, okay, here are all the things nicely organized. But anyway, that's a, yeah. that's a startup for uh, some entrepreneur to take on at a later time. Uh, Alex, let's go analog. Um, we talked about streaming. Uh, where are books in 2025? Ooh, good one. My gosh. Uh, it feels like you were in my Christmas conversations over the last two days. Did you get a book for Christmas? I get books for Christmas. I get books all the time. Um, I got wool. So wool is, um, Apple's silo. Um, 
there's a show called Silo on, on Apple, and it's based on the book Wool, which um, I have not started, but I have had a lot of great recommendations. I also got, and by the way, I remember the coach, his name's Dan Sullivan. So I got Dan Sullivan's book. Uh, it's a little older, but um, it is called, I think it's 10X is Easier Than 2X. You say 10X is easier than 2X? Yes. Um, okay. It's Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy. I, I believe Ben Hardy wrote the book in collaboration with Dan Sullivan. Speaks to the fundamentals of 10x growth, personal and business. Where are books? Books are exactly where they have been since the days they were created, I, I guess. Um, when, when they were written on papyrus, um, they are a way to educate those who want to be educated and a way to get away for those who want to get away, right? Um, I, I think novels take you to places that you can only dream of. I think books are a way for um, well-educated, well-intended people to share a message. Um, I think one of the things that we've seen with books is, and I'm not sure if you've been in this place, but I don't feel like I've been in the industry for long enough to, to write a book or, or have enough to say that's different than anything else that's been out there. But one of the big strategies by PR agencies is to get executives like, like you, like me and our peers to actually write books. Again, it's just noise until mm. you have something that's really powerful to say, you're just creating more noise in the space. Yeah. But good books are good books. Yeah. You know, I, on the same way I'm, I'm, I'm getting back. I do a lot of audible audiobooks, but I've gotten back into the written word a little bit more and have really enjoyed it. And one of the books I got for Christmas is called Art, The Whole Story. And it's actually like an art history textbook. And art is just something that I haven't really spent a lot of time in or in terms of understanding or appreciating or anything like that. So for me, it's an opportunity to dive into a new a new realm and, and learn something completely new. But back Who to what you- um, oh gosh, it's it's a compendium um, of authors. It's almost like a textbook. Um, it's called Art: The Whole Story. It's about five hundred pages, and it but every page is has a, a particular piece of art or two that it deep dives into, as well as a timeline at the bottom that tells you more about what was happening at that period. Um, so you have some context, um, which a lot of times you know you go to a museum you walk through a million paintings and it's just, oh, what are my initial reactions? And you don't, you don't understand the context, which why that piece of art is significant in one way or another. So, so we celebrate three Kings uh, in our family and I just put this in the cart, buying it for my wife. It's, it's incredible. And I think it's, it's reasonably priced for what it is. It's a 500 page, you know, beautifully designed um, textbook that, you know, uh, costs the, the price of a, a bestseller on the New York times. So love it. Anyway, uh, going back as well, you mentioned one thing and I've had the same thought recently about some books I've read. I read a book recently called Wine Girl, um, which is about one of the youngest sommeliers in the country. Um, and it was great, but it was only her like coming of age story. And since the book is written, she's gone on to like actually become a really big maven in the wine world and do a lot of really cool, unique, interesting um, things. And I kind of wanted to, I, I ended the book and I wanted to know more about those things. I wanted to know more about the after, but then I realized at the same time, what you were just saying, it's almost like she needed that book to get to that position where she could be on shows and in different programs and catapulted to the forefront of visibility. So it's almost like, you know, chicken before the egg. Um, you know, I wanted, I wanted both the chicken and the egg. Um, and I only got the egg, um, but I guess that's the way it is sometimes. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's the, that's the makings of a great book, right? Um, yeah. 
they, they leave you wanting more. So that's, I, I would say that that is a really good book because it left you wanting more and left you mm. curious about what's next. Sure. And, 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 and I think that's, that's the makings of a great movie. Yep. That's the great uh, novel. Um, you're not I think wrong. it's it's I'm I'm speaking about the books that basically are regurgitating content that you've learned from somebody mm. else just just to yep. basically do a press release on on your company or your yep. whatever you're doing. Nothing wrong with it. I mean, I think it's it's just I I think I'm just so over the noise yep. that I I want <laughs> I want authenticity, which which is funny. We just talked about that, but yeah, this uh, this time of year, I always go through my Audible wish list, which is always like fifty to six seventy five books strong, and I I edit and I say, okay, which which books do I really either are they not as good as I think they're going to be? Am I just title hunting, um, or in which books am I really am I never going to read? Am I only putting it up there because I think it's the right thing to have in my uh, personal curriculum? So. Anyway, uh, moving on, Alex, let's talk about conferences. Where are conferences in 2025? I am serious, Nick. You must have had a seat at the table um, during my Christmas party. Where do you think they are? You know, I usually haze you when you turn it back on me, but I think in this case, um, I am probably poised to, to answer yeah. first on this one. You know, I am rediscovering conferences um, in a new way. Conferences have been my life since about 2008. And frankly, I got into this world of associations because I fell in love with conferences, fell in love with, you know, perusing the programming and uh, thinking about all the different sessions and getting excited about those. And then I think COVID happened and, and we went away from it. And I, I just yearned to get back for the sake of getting back. And I think some of the conference experiences didn't necessarily come back at the pace that I was used to. Then I went back to uh, South by Southwest this past year and the cornucopia of content was just a juggernaut of delight. Um, and it was kind of an opportunity to get back into um, options of learning. And hey, there there's so many things out there that I, I don't know and that I could get exposed to. And I'm also starting to get better at curating what I like and what I don't like. And I can walk out of a session immediately if I realize it's not what I thought or it's not what I need or not what I want. Um, so I'm um, coming and going from sessions in a much different pattern. I'll come in halfway through if I think, oh, I needed to switch. And I, I think there's a place and an experience there. I think I don't need big names. I need interesting, insightful topics that I can't get anywhere else. And I think that's what I'm looking for. And I'm seeing it in our own conferences. I want stuff that's unique and different and not repetitive and something you can't find everywhere else. Um, and so that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm enjoying them, but I'm also looking for something different that I've never had before. Yeah, I think I think you you hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, it's curation, right? It's better curation. Let's get new stuff. Let's not basically cover the topic of AI is here. Like, what are you going to do with it, right? Um, I, I think it's opening up creativity, right? So how do you how do you help people understand the the transition that they have to go through? Um, and then it's connection, right? How do you connect with people at the conference, not just attend to to get inspired? I, I think Nick, we are also speaking from from two people that have been doing this for the last ten or twelve years. So if you're new to the industry, right? So if you just graduated or, or I, I think you, I suspect that you might just be excited to go learn and see what's out there, right? So, so you might come at it with, with a different set of eyes and you might be excited for, for the overwhelming, like, just give me everything so I could consume it. Mm -hmm. I think because again, you and I have been at this for 10, 20 years now, um, we're really like trying to like cut the noise, making sure we go there for what we need. Um, 
get get a few tidbits out, connect with a few great people, and then come out of it a little better than what we went in versus give me everything and I'll digest it over the next six months. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So speaking, speaking for our age and, and our, our place in, in, I guess, society right now in, in, in Richmond, we're, we're probably just looking for better. That's what we do every year. Yeah. Um, speaking of looking for a little better, um, where's Shaco in 2025, Alex? Where's your company? <laughs> Great question. Um, creating signals. Um, I, I think I love that question. Um, thank you for positioning that one. But um, we've been building applications for over 10 years now. Um, we know how to do it and we know how to do it well. Um, I think we, we've, we've been part of the solution and we've also been part of the problem. The problem is that, that creation of noise. But um, one of the things that we are encouraging our, our team to do and our clients to think about is looking up, right? We as humans are looking for connection. Yes, connection to the brands that we work for or, or follow, but also connection to the, the people that we hang out with. So how do we create signals? How do we make sure that um, brands are more positioned to connect with their users? Uh, the clients that we work with are, are experts at the customer journey. Shaco is an expert at connecting people um, that, that physical and digital space, right? So whether it's an app or IOT or a website, I think bringing those together in a more seamless experience and a better experience for the end user, um, I, I think that's what we want to do, right? So when do you want to connect with a grocery store? When do you want to connect with a bank? When do you want a message? When do you want to go to the website? So I think for us, it's it's how do we create the right balance between signals and noise to reduce the number of messages somebody might get from a brand on a daily or weekly basis? I don't have the answer for that yet, but that's what we're pursuing and we're betting on that. I think there's going to be a mix between AR and, and phone and AI, but it's it's all about creating that that relationship versus just continuing to spread the noise. Yep. Signal is meaningful. Noise is unmeaningful. So just... Yep. Uh, filtering the meaningful from the non-meaningful. Correct. Yep. And, and making sure you do it well. Well, Alex, uh, I'd love to what say that. What about you? I, 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 I'm, I'm, I haven't asked my question. What about RVA Tech? Where is RVA Tech say, in 25? I'd love, I'd love for that to be the same thing. Um, you know, we we had a 2023 that had more stuff than ever before. Um, and, you know, sometimes more is, is good and sometimes less is more. Um, and so... Uh, as we look to 2024, we want to create a, a, a not just a greater impact, but a better impact um, in a way that things are a little more curated and expanded within themselves rather than just expansion for the sake of expansion. So cutting back on our conferences a little bit in terms of the number of them, but we're looking at, hey, how do we evolve them to either be multi-day conferences or multi-track conferences or uh, different new topics and different new frameworks? Um, and so we're looking at making our conferences better as a, as a priority versus just having more. Um, we're also looking at how to better position this city and our community, not just saying that Richmond's a great place for tech, but proactively going out there and showing people that it is. And so we hope to storytell more and collect and curate the, the content that's happening around our city to showcase that Richmond is tech's most creative city. Um, and we want to, we want to prove that in 2024, not just say it. So, uh, that's our goal. Yeah. I think it's, it's funny, Nick, but I, I, again, the, the, the leaders that I speak to in Richmond 
are all saying the same thing. How do we create a more authentic connection for our clients um, that creates more meaning, right? So as humans, we want connection and we want meaning and, and we pursue that. And that's a wrap to 2023.